Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 27. Today, I'll be interviewing John Para, illustrator, designer, and educator. Frida Kahlo and her Animalitos was named a New York Times Best Illustrated Children's Book of the Year, received a Pura Belpre honor for illustration, received an award from the Center for the Study of Multicultural Children's Literature Best Book, and also received Smithsonian's Best Book of the Year. John has received many awards and honors, including three Pura Belpre honors for illustration, two SCBWI Golden Kite Awards for illustration, and the Christopher Award, among many others. John was awarded the SCBWI Golden Kite Award for illustration for Marvelous Cornelius, Hurricane Katrina, and the Spirit of New Orleans. Pura Belpre Honor for Green is a Chili Pepper, the Christopher Award for Waiting for the Biblioboro, and Hay Wall, which received a School Library Journal starred review. His new picture books in 2019 include Little Library's Big Heroes, which we're going to be talking about today, and One is a Pinata, a Book of Numbers. John also illustrates for commercial clients, including United Airlines, PBS, National Geographic, Virgin Records, Boston Children's Hospital, Museo del Barrio, and many others. In 2015, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York presented his books and artwork. So before we start, I, I just want to let you know about John Parra's website at johnparraart.com. And you could also follow him on Twitter at John Parra, John Parra Art. So thank you so much for being here today, John. You're very busy, and I really appreciate your time taking to talk about your, you know, your beautiful, amazing work today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I, you know, <clears throat> I, we were talking before, but when I received John's books, it was just so beautiful. I mean, his his illustration are just works of art that it's like each book is an is a work of art in itself. And so, you know, we could talk for a long time because John has many books and each book has its own feeling to it and its own message. But we're going to talk a little bit today about his newest book, Little Libraries, Big Heroes, which I think I really connected with it because I love Little, little for Your Library. So I'm really excited to talk about that with him today. So the first question I had for you, what was the process in illustrating your latest book, uh, Little Library's Big Heroes? Well, it's sort of similar to the previous books I did. Uh, the first one I usually, because most of the books that I work on or many of the books that I work on are nonfiction books and require a great deal of research um, when I begin, and that could mean visual research, uh, talking with the people that were maybe involved, you know, um, with this organization, which happens to be the Little Free Library organization in this case. Um, and I was able to actually speak with Todd Bowl, who was the one of the main founders or the original 
person who uh, started the Little Free Libraries um, and is talked about in the book. So just sort of the beginning parts were just reaching out to these people to getting the reference material, getting the images. And, um, and then from that point on, you know, I started, I was just being inspired by the, the, the story, the words, you know, and, and not only that, but I mean, just the story itself, you know, Miranda Paul's, uh, wonderful, wonderful depiction about, uh, how the little free libraries got started and uh, the direction it went in because it talks about also the stewards of the little free libraries. So there were so many different components and you kind of have to start off just kind of going after all of those things and researching every one of them and kind of beginning that to kind of build a foundation for the little free libraries. Uh, so the next thing I wanted to add, because I, I mean, ask you, because I think that's one of the things I'm always curious about. Um, I always ask illustrators and authors you know, what was it like for you at a young age? And I just, I'm curious to see what your experiences were in becoming an illustrator because, you know, I work with kids and they always, you know, cause they know what I do for, um, for my website and that I'm, I also write my own books and I work with illustrators and I am always curious, like, you know, when did you start drawing and, um, how did that experience shape your, you know, your career? Well, I've always been interested in art. I think I was that was my strongest and I was most passionate about it. Um, even before I even started school, I was always drawing um, and being creative, like many, many kids are. Um, it seems obvious now where I, I was supposed to end up. But um, growing up, it's funny, I, I didn't know I was going to become an illustrator or artist Um because I didn't know anybody that was a professional illustrator artist growing up. So it was just something that I kind of made a part of my life. And even when I um, got a little bit older, um, I was in, um, I was taking classes in a junior college in California where I was growing up. And, uh, you know, I kept thinking the next class I take will probably lead me to my career. But uh, in the meantime, I, I'm going to keep taking these art classes that I love so much, not really realizing what the potential for that meant. And then one day, one day, a professional illustrator came into my class and I recognized his work and I got so excited. I was so like, oh my gosh, you know, and I like just light bulbs started, you know, electricity started just shooting out of me. <laughs> um, I was so excited, you know, and I finally realized this, this is it. This is what I want to do. So there was kind of like a, so even though I loved doing art and just always was very visual person and a visual learner growing up, um, I, I just didn't quite make that connection until uh, later on, um, which was kind of interesting, you know, because I know I've talked to a, a quite a few of my colleagues and friends and I asked them, I said, did you always know you were going to do children's books or, you know, be an artist or an illustrator when they were young? Oh, definitely, definitely. So <laughs> I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> So my, my journey was a little bit uh, a little bit different, but I'm so glad. Again, I, I always felt that making art a part of my life was always going to be there, but I just didn't quite know how it was going to be there. So, but thank thankfully, um, through this this illustrator that came into my class, um, that makes a big difference, and that's kind of like also why I love doing school visits and and talking to kids and talking to youth at all ages, all ages. Um, because it's important for them. I want them to make that those connections as well, you know, you know, kind of pass it, you know, pay it forward in a sense, 
Um, so those they see the potential in what they do, and maybe it's maybe it's not art, maybe it's music, or maybe it's dance, or maybe it's writing, maybe it's um, some other creative form that they do, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, they'll they'll see their path as they you know as they progress as well. Yeah, I, I think it's so important to do those uh, school visits as well because I mean I see it as a parent when my kids come home and they've had an author event or an illustrator come and it's, it really is very meaningful and they come away with it. I think it's not just that day, you know, it's, it's an inspiration. I think to also see adults that follow their passion and, you know, they see what, you know, it's, it's their, you know, your say art was your passion and you followed it. And then, regardless of whether it was when you were a child, when you realize it, when you were older, I don't think it really matters with age. I just think it matters with, you know, loving what you do. And that shows through with your artwork. You know, it shows through with how beautiful your drawings are because you're so connected to your art. Um, and I think art, you know, art is just such a way to be creative. And um, so, so I agree with that for sure. I mean, doing those visits are just so important. So when you were little, I always ask, like, when you were small, what kind of drawings did you like to draw? Oh, uh, oh, gosh. I think there were a lot of landscapes, uh, a lot of robots, um, you know, some anime stuff. And um, as I got a little bit older, but I liked a lot of landscapes and just sort of sort of things like this, you know, Um I don't know. It was it was kind of interesting. I also did a you know I designed my own video games as a kid, so I kept, maybe a little bit all over the place. Whatever you know, kids were interested in. I think that was um, or my friends also liked. Um, we would we would just draw things like that. So so the next thing I wanted to ask you is about your background and your experience and how that shaped your expression through art and illustration. Like just from your background, your culture, how sure. does that come out in your artwork? Um, well, when I was in school, I had many, many wonderful teachers. And, um, you know, we were, uh, I was always kind of like, you know, that was a, one of the wonderful things, you know, because I had also a lot of family support and school support for me doing art. And, you know, developing as an artist, you know, I got better and better and better. Um, you know, with rendering and realism and, and things like this. And I kind of took it to a point where I said, okay, um, I'm really good at all this. And, but it's something was missing. There was a kind of a, a, a piece of, about the art that I was making that it just felt a little bit not quite connecting to me. And um, what happened was another artist um, came to my, uh, school. This was when I was in art school in Pasadena art center. And he gave, his name was Salman Huerta and he gave a lecture about, uh, his background in art. He was a Chicano muralist artist, uh, painter, fine artist. And he started talking about how his influences, his family influences, his background really kind of influenced and inspired and, and his thought process in art and his creativity. And we had a conversation afterwards. Uh, I remember speaking to him about it um, uh, after his presentation. And I started thinking about it. And I started thinking about my family um, because I kind of come from a multicultural family. Um, my father is Mexican and my mother is American. And I kind of, but we kind of grew up because uh, we grew up in California. My father's family was out there. So I kind of grew up with more of the Mexican side than 
my mother's, um, you know, American and she's American Slovak side. Um, although I, I love them dearly as well. Um, but I kind of grew up within the, the food, the music, that kind of um, sort of the culture of the, the, the you know, the Mexican um, experience out there. And um, I really wanted to have that be a part of my, my art as well and kind of use those the, that those sort of um, those memories that uh, those symbols, those sort of that uh, sort of creativity that they have, that love that they they have um, as well in their in their special way that uh, I can kind of input it into my art. And once I started doing that, things started to click and I just I just never wanted it to stop after that. So I kind of shifted in that direction and um, my art kind of became like a folk art, you know, inspired um, style of art at that point uh, with the Latino and American influences all together. I mean, I feel like it's it's kind of like a sort of a balance, a balanced, um, a, uh, it, a, a very uh, Latino, a positive, um, just wonderful, just from my, it just felt good. It just felt like, you know, like home to me, you know, now my art felt like home and felt like family and, and it just has this wonderful sort of, um, um, inspiration now that I get to get to share, share with people. And, uh, I think that's the, the, the best part about it. So that's, that's kind of how my art style developed. So I always tell people, you know, if you're an artist, you know, what's, you know, if you're developing artist, and, you know, everyone's talking about style and you have to find your style and you have to find your, um, you know, your sort of, um, signature, you know, look about what you do. Um, you know, that could be an important, you know, pathway is like, well, what do you also find? that you love or or passionate about, or you think about that is meaningful in your life um, and how maybe that can be incorporated into your art, you know? So, and it could, you know, and it really makes you stand out. That really makes you stand out. So I think that was um, a real big, big breakthrough for me when I was, when I was working on my art. Uh, So that kind of happened in my last year of of art school. Uh, Thank goodness. And, um, and just kind of been going ever since. Uh, what what advice would you give to children who want to become illustrators? You know, if you have young children, like what what kind of advice would you like? I'm just curious because I know that um, you know, my daughter always asks, you know, because she loves to draw and she, sure. so I always ask illustrators that because um, you know, because kids look up to you, you know, they look, they see, you know, you're very successful, you love what you do, you're very passionate. It's beautiful, you know, your work. So I'm just would love to hear any advice that you have. Oh, well, I would just say uh, keep keep drawing, keep being creative. Um, another big influence for me was also came from my mom. She loved books and she loved reading. She would uh, she would read to us um, almost every night. And I always tell kids, you know, do you ever read a book? And sometimes, you know, you you're, you picture what you're reading inside your head, like in images. Well, that can be a very creative and powerful tool for being creative and doing art. So not just doing art, not just practicing doing art or having fun or, or thinking creatively, um, but also use other types of create, you know, creative um, 
uh, inspirations, whether it's reading books, whether it's, it's playing music, whether it's dancing, whether it's writing poetry or stories, um, all these things can enhance your development. And then when, when you get older, you know, you find out where you're, what strengths, what, where you want to pull from and you kind of find your voice, but just, just keep drawing. Um, I also had a teacher that used to say, uh, you got to learn all the rules so you can break all the rules, you know? So like, (laughs) he was kind of famous for saying that. Um, and you know, it's kind of true. So just learn as much as you can be inspired, go to art museums, go to the natural history museum, go to these places and, 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 and then come home and then you can draw something about them, you know, almost like you're, you know, illustrating your, your day trip that you, you took to the museum or something interesting that you saw there and, or write about it or, you know, whatever you feel is the most creative outlet for you. And that moment, and then just kind of um, make it a part of your life. You know, I always, I made a decision many years ago that I just wanted to make art a part of my life. And I'm also, I'm kind of taking it as to see how far I can take it in a sense with that, with that approach. But um, whether one person liked my art and, or, you know, many more people like my art. I just kind of wanted to focus on just making art, doing art, being creative, a part of my life. I think that's, I think that's great advice. And also brings me to the point, because I think a lot of times what happens in school is that once kids reach about eight, nine years old, there's, for some people they say, well, not, not so much in schools, but a lot of parents think that there's no, you no longer, um, are able to read picture books anymore. You know, now it's time that they do chapter books and there's no more picture books anymore. But, you know, I'm come from the perspective that I just feel like there's so much that you could get from a picture book that I also think for older children, you know, like tweens or teens to still love picture books and to still get ideas from picture books. And there's so many beautiful messages from picture books because you talked about, you know, keep drawing and keep being creative. And I also think just, you know, going to museums, of course, like all of that is just wonderful. Um, But to also get ideas from other artists, you know, I mean, I feel like every time you know, my kids are older, my kids are 10 and 11, and they just still love picture box. I mean, and I just feel like there's so much that you could get from just looking at other people's illustrations and how they express themselves through art. Um, not that you can't do that through a chapter book, because like, there's so much imagination that goes in it. But I just feel like having a variety, I think for those parents listening, to have a variety of different books that you're reading to your kids that, um, and I know, in like my daughter's school, you know, there's still picture books available. Um, but I don't know. I just think they're just works of art. So, um, the other thing, the other thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, how do you start illustrating a book? Do you start with sketching? Do you start on your computer? You know, how, what's your normal start to beginning for the illustration for like for a book? Oh, sure. Well, the, the, the beginning parts are after the research is done, I will start sketching the characters. Um, I feel like because, you know, that's the main focus of the, of the book will be who the people are. You know, people are drawn to characters. People are drawn to faces, expressions, things like this. So I always start with the characters first, drawing them, you know, and kind of, you know, trying to really get down the who they are and, and, and how they look and, and then kind of maybe pose them in different uh, positions, you know, that I'll be using throughout the book. 
And then I'll start developing um, other things. So it's like a world building um, what's what's going on. So there'll be backgrounds. There'll be, you know, depending on what the, um, what the content of the book is, you know, I start developing those images behind them and, and other interactions also with other characters. And so from the sketches, so what happens is uh, the publisher, because, you know, most people, it's funny, most people think I work with authors, but I, I actually work with publishers. I don't even speak to the author necessarily until the book is finished. Um, so I'm usually working with an art director at the publisher. So the kind of the halfway point for me is like, once I do all the sketches and put everything together and lay everything out, I will submit those sketches to the publisher. Um, they will review those, those sketches. Um, and then they'll ask for changes or updates or, or any kind of thing like that. I come back and then, um, resubmit some of the, the, the corrections or fixes and then at that point, they give me the approval to go to final art, uh, which means I can then paint. Um, so the so the thing is, you don't want to start painting right away or start, you know, like the process is. So there's like a whole process to it because, you know, you never know what's going to change or what could be asked to be changed. Um, so once everything is approved, all the sketches are get approved, you start painting and um, and then I'll just start working. And I still work traditionally. I still work with acrylic paint on board, um, and I love it. I love working with paintbrushes and, and all the different colors, and I'll pick out um, – I usually select a specific um, set of color, like a color palette that I'm going to use for the book to kind of distinguish it from either, either past books also. So I'll, I'll pick a specific blue, a specific orange, specific red. Um, and I'll just limit myself to those colors and it kind of defines. So even though like different pages have dominant colors, um, it'll still tie the book together because of I'm, I'm using those same. So instead of using like 50 colors, it's only about five or five or six, maybe at the most. Um, and I kind of like that. I kind of like that. It kind of, kind of just, um, reins it in <laughs> and, um, keeps it consistent. So once uh, once that part is done, once all the paintings are done, it will then be submitted to the publisher and they'll scan it. And then um, I might do some, you know, some computer cleanup on it. Um, but that's it. And then they'll do the design work, add the text in and um, send it off to be printed uh, for publishing. So yeah, I see the different, I see the different colors that you're talking about. And um, that's what I love about doing the podcast and about talking to um, authors and illustrators, because I see, you know, that the color pattern here and it definitely distinguishes between each book. So the next thing I want to ask you is, you know, when you're creating a bilingual book, which I think is really wonderful to create a bilingual book. A bilingual book because I think you know I work with a lot with kids who are bilingual and I think it's so wonderful to have that um, the addition of English and Spanish in a book and so as far as illustrating that type of book is there any is that a different process at all or um, maybe you could just talk about that a little bit uh, I don't know if it's so much of a different process but there are some technical things people uh, that I need to be aware of. Like if there's extra text, you have to leave space 
uh, for both the English and the Spanish. Uh, illustrators have a tendency to sort of monopolize the page uh, and kind of crowd out everything else. So we're, I'm always reminding myself, well, if it's going to be a bilingual book, make sure not only the English text will have space, but also the Spanish text, you know, or whatever language, you know, they ch decide to use um, has the space available. Um, I don't, I don't know if there, it, it affects the way I necessarily approach the story. Again, I'm a visual storyteller. Uh, I've always been attracted to telling stories visually, which sort of transcends language in a sense, because, um, most people could look at the images from any language or, or region and, and see what is taking place and, and how the story is sort of unfolding. So, um, which is sort of a wonderful thing, you know, that you kind of able to bridge um, bridge languages or or just kind of over, um, not overcome, but over, you know, sort of um, it's a universal language, the the visuals. So it's less of a of an issue that way. Uh, I do love seeing bilingual books um, that I've done and and from others, you know, because it's just a wonderful way. I I always see. Because sometimes either either parents maybe or sometimes new newly immigrated people that come to the United States and they're connecting with their kids or maybe it's grandparents that want to connect with their grandkids and this is a wonderful wonderful way to 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 have that happen um, because you know they they read the Spanish or and then the, the maybe the child reads the Spanish and the English and it's just a a really special connection that you see happening. Um, which is wonderful. And um, so I think both that's a, that's, it's a wonderful thing because both the parents or the grandparents and the child are all learning together, um, which is really a kind of a fun thing. And through the pictures and through the images, they really kind of get excited and talk about it. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the most special things you can, you can have. Yeah, I, I could definitely see, I could definitely see that being like really, really special. I mean, I know a lot of kids that would benefit from that, even if they're reading, let's say the book in school and they're reading in English and then bringing it home and reading with their parent or their grandparent. And it, I could, I could definitely see that being just a wonderful experience. And so next thing I wanted to ask you was that a lot of illustrators will take like certain favorite characters and sort of you know, let's say draw it into their books, uh, maybe not a main character, but something a little special in there that only, you know, is kind of put in there. I know some illustrators that do that, whether they have like, you know, a specific person or a specific person in the background that's sort of consistent across their books. Do you ever do anything like that or a certain landscape that you um, put in yeah. that are consistent <laughs> across your illustrations? Yeah, actually there's, um, um, I always, uh, I have like Easter eggs in my books. So sometimes they're family members that show up every now and then, um, in my books. But the, the one consistent one across every book is that I have a self portrait of myself as a little boy in every single oh, book that I've done. Um, and I'm not telling you where, but <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, great. That's it's great. In there. It's in there. So that's, um, that's kind of one of my, and I just, I do it for fun. I just, I think it's kind of a fun, fun way to, kind of been used and, and have, um, as part of the books that I can kind of see it, um, you know, in each book that I have. And when you're not illustrating books, what other kinds of art do you, you know, do you do for fun? Do you just do you paint or, um, oh, always, yeah. you know, if I'm not doing books or some also commercial work that I'm working on, 
um, other projects. Um, I do use the computer for some design works, um, you know, do, do different things like that. And um, I love to play music. I have guitars here in my studio. So I kind of surround myself with a lot of um, creative things, you know, to kind of keep my creative interests going. <laughs> and so, yeah, so music, art, um, are probably the two biggest though, you know, design. Oh. I love, I love that. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything you want to add before we finish up? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you for, for having me and, um, you know, being able to talk to you today. Um, and about the, my new book, little libraries, big heroes, you know, I think it's a very special book cause it, it kind of, kind of combines my, uh, two of two of my favorite things, which is art and reading books, um, and and seeing people with access to books, which is great. So the little free libraries um, has been a wonderful um, part of that um, in the new books, which is which is pretty exciting. They are really special. And I think what makes them so unique is that they're all just so different. You know, everyone puts their own different spin on their little free library. You know, you could yeah. either buy one from their website because I've looked into it or you could create your own. I remember seeing a one little free library. Actually, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of them, but I think one of the ones that, oh, that caught my eye, I was in Alaska and it was in a very, very small town and it had maybe, I don't know, maybe like less than a hundred people in that town. And I saw a little free library and I just, it was so excited. I mean, it's actually throughout Alaska. I, I've seen a bunch of little free libraries there. And it's just so special because I think, in, you know, especially in those towns where they don't really have access to, you know, maybe a ton of bookstores or um, libraries, they could just go in and they could just swap the books. And a lot of times I see them in the coffee shops. And I just think they're so beautiful. You know, they're just, it's such a good message, I think, because also in the world of technology, you know, everything is about screens. You know, a lot of this stuff is about screens. And, you know, I mean, listen, I'm on the tech team, so I am. A, I do love the screens. But um, <laughs> but I also love, you know, I also love books and I love things that you could just hold in your hand. And I think many years ago, I was talking to somebody, I guess it was about 10 years ago. I was talking to someone about how I always wanted to write a children's book. This is in the beginning. And he had told me, well, you know, books are going to be obsolete. Not everything's going to be online. And I was like, no, that's never going to happen. I'm like, people love books. People want to hold books in their hand. They yeah. want, and children need the experience of looking at a book, of experience a book, of turning the pages and interacting with, with the pictures and the words and the text. And that's never going to go away. I mean, people have just a love for that. And so, um, Little Free Library kind of just, it has like this beautiful spin on it and that, you know, you could build your little free library, you could go and you could swap your books out and um, it's a great sense of community. And I loved learning about Little Free Library because I didn't really know the background as much. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people may not just search that up. They may want to do a Little Free Library, but reading your book, you're going to get a really nice history so it's just, I think, not only important for kids, but also important for adults to be able yeah. to talk about it because I learn from books all the time. I mean, I, I especially the nonfiction picture books, which are so, so wonderful. And I also think, you know, just the speech pathologist, I mean, there's so many great words to learn in there as well. Um, so I, I think it's going to inspire a lot of different people to want to build their own little free library. I mean, we definitely want to build one in front of our house, but um 
you know, but it's, it's, it's a little bit of a process, but there's also, I think a lot of communities out there of a little free library, there's different, um, different groups of different people who are stewards who've done their own little free library. Their website is also great giving inspirational stories. Well, that's, that, that was also the really thing that I was drawn to the book, you know, about ordinary heroes, you know, that we can all be, you know, like we're, we sometimes we just feel like, well, what can we do to change the world? And, um, you know, it's amazing, you know, because it's not just about the founder who started the little free libraries, but it's about the stewards and all the people that, that, that kind of take care of the little free libraries. And, um, I think as of today, I mean, they're closing in on the hundred thousand. Wow. Little free libraries across the world. I mean, in 90 different countries, and it's only been around for 10 years. So I think that's just an amazing thing for someone who thought they were just an ordinary, you know, person <laughs> could do. And also just, again, all the individuals who uh, support and take care of the little free libraries. I think it's fascinating and, and amazing what they do. Yeah, I agree. Well, definitely anyone listening, check out John, John Parr's new book. Little Libraries, Big Heroes, and um, also all of his other beautiful books. And don't forget to also visit his website at johnpowerart.com. So thank you so much for being here, John. And thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language Sharing Mealtime. Thank you very much. 